means, ladies and gentlemen, would you please check your ideas and opinions at the door? How would you describe <laughs> it? What is consciousness? So, ripples in the structure of the universe. Is consciousness out there or is consciousness in here? I think consciousness is more like music than computation. When we make music, we don't do it in order to reach a certain point, such as the end of the composition. The band begins to play, the symphony begins, and you hear music, whether it's Beethoven or the Beatles, or probably a better analogy would be like a jam session, improv, that sort of thing, jazz or just jamming. Space, which nobody can define, nobody can imagine, appears to be nothing. Foundation of the universe. Hey everybody, how you doing? Hey, what's up there? I love this song. Hey, Shut up, I love this song. Just jamming. Ooh yeah. Shut up, Lou. I wanna jam it with you. What am I? Yeah. I'm jamming. Just jamming. Jamming. Just jamming. And I hope you like jamming too. Yeah. <laughs> Is our consciousness part of this electron field, or is it something else? then reality would seem to be made up of the incredibly complex overlapping interactions between quantumized bundles of these different fields. And that's all that anything is. Jamming. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money. Part four. Four. Part four. Look for the good in everything. And so when I'm when I'm saying to myself at the end of that thing, like, aren't you grateful that Mormonism taught you that you're all deity and embryo? You're all like the, the worth of a soul is great for everyone. Aren't you glad that you learned that? Did you learn it? Are you still learning it? Is that part of the bathwater that you want to throw out? Or is that the baby that you want to keep? You know, like that, that sort of thing. That's what I was. That's what I was doing in that segment. Yeah. But it's not for Mormonism. It's not because I'm trying to salvage Mormonism because I don't want anybody to say anything bad about Mormonism. It's because I want to create an internal environment in myself where I'm not filled with hatred. And I don't want to hate places where I've come from. And I don't want to be unfair either. I, I don't I don't want to just say, okay, this there are these shitty things that happen. So it's just shitty and there's no value in it. And then and that that's the equivalent of me being a blind man going up to an elephant and feeling a tail and going, it's just a snake. It's just a spear. That's all this is. Yeah. I, I feel like um, at the beginning of all that I was talking about, um, you know, salvaging the, the, the wrestle of with the trauma of Mormonism mm -hmm. and like, okay, let's, um kind of weigh all of these things is this the baby or is this the bathwater like 
um, what of this is is worthwhile? What do I not want to like um, hold on to anymore? Um, what I really like about all of that is actually like sitting with the 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 ideas like that idea of the worth of souls is great like in the arcturian thing it's just put out like okay yeah this was this was a great teaching right this was this was great is it great great? (laughs) like are the worth of souls great (laughs) but but this this is another one of those areas where i went down like a really big pinwheel tangent and talking about like the nature of souls and how you know you guys think that you humans think you Mm -hmm. know what a soul is but it's just juvenile you don't really know what a soul is right but But, even if you don't know what it is like we can all like uh, understand what it's talking about and like the well what, what what do you understand when you say that, when you question whether or not a soul is great, what mm-hmm. is it that you're questioning? The worth part. Okay. Like what, what makes one soul worthy and another soul not worthy? Like why, why attach something like worth to souls? Mm. Well, I, I don't think that saying we're, oh, the worth of a soul is great um, then leads to a judgment of saying some souls are great and some souls aren't great. You know, like that there's saying that the worth of a soul is great, meaning that everything is worthy. That, that's the way that I interpret it. Not, not that then there's some things that are worthy, some souls that are worthy and others that aren't. I think, I think in, in your case, you're using soul as a, 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 a moniker for human mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're saying that some humans are worthy and some humans aren't because some humans are good and some humans are bad yeah i think that that's that that uh, uh i think that that's implied by the the statement well the way that i always understood it in mormonism is mm-hmm. the worth of a soul is great meaning that everyone's worthy like you know, kind of like that. Yeah, in as much know. as you've done like, it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. It's kind of scriptures. Now, Mormonism is really contradictory about it, right? Because you can, sure, you can point to that scripture, but then you can also point to the scripture in the Book of Mormon about how everybody's less than the dust of the earth, right? Well, all like, I can tell you, all I can tell you is my experience and my perspective, Ren, and yeah. that is that that the way that I always interpreted that scripture, yeah. the worth of a soul is great, is that it mm-hmm. was applying to every person. And, and a lot of times in the mission field, especially I remember in the MTC, that would be used as a way of saying, this is why you need to go and convert everybody because we can't have any lost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like every, everyone's worthy, <laughs> you know, of being saved or whatever, but, but however that idea could be twisted by other people, the, the way that I've viewed it, and especially the way that I view it now is that, I don't think that I, I don't give like a one-to-one uh, relationship between a soul and a human being. I think the souls are the, the way that I conceive of a soul is much bigger. It's not like uh, a, a shadow, <laughs> like 
like Peter Pan's shadow, <laughs> you know, that like, Oh yeah. There's Peter Pan in this. No, I don't think of a soul as like that. I, I think of a soul more in the sense of DNA that what, where DNA is like this record of all of my ancestors that have gone before me mm-hmm. and maybe not every single choice that they made, but a lot of really significant ones. Mm-hmm. So something about the way that they lived their lives, wh- whether they were in human form or even before, as they were evolving from all the different forms of life that are in my genetic history, that that there is something, and I don't know what it is, that is at an energetic level in one of these dimensions, or it's multiple, m- multi-dimensional thing that has been existing. It, it, it was part of the whatever banged from the big bang, part, mm-hmm. part of that stuff that has been evolving in the universe. And there's these levels of intelligence. So I, I think of souls as being much bigger things, and I don't have any evidence that they even exist. So it's just an mm-hmm. idea in my mind, and it's just a placeholder to say that every single person, like I, like I, I think of the relationship between souls and people more like, um, like if a soul's like a porcupine and a person <laughs> is just like the very teeny tiny tip of one of the quills. Okay. Yeah. And every teeny tiny tip of, of the quill is another living expression of that soul. Hmm. Um, and the, but, but that's a very simple, uh, ridiculous metaphor. I, I, I don't really have words to put to the way that I view of what a soul is, but I, I don't think of it as just a, I don't know. So, so when I think of the worth of a soul is great, I'm, I'm thinking about all of the events that led up to the creation of a human life. Um, and that it's kind of life itself that souls are responsible for life. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it gets weird when I talk about it as if I know what I'm talking about. Cause I don't. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like you said at the very beginning, you know, like it's, it is how you see things and, and that is how you see things. I mean, yeah. I don't know the, yeah. I, I just see it as like a deep energetic essence that is outside of my ability to perceive. I can only imagine and mm. barely scratch the surface of what it actually might be if it there really is anything to it. Mm. But it's kind it's kind of like I you know I I went through this phase and you can you can hear it in Infants on Thrones over the ten years that I've been doing this. <laughs> Times where I I would take Mormon things that I was taught as a Mormon, like a soul and go, oh, well, that's just bullshit. So there's no such thing as a soul. Okay. There's no such thing as a soul because that's absolutely ridiculous. And then I would get stuck in the certainty loop where I don't have any evidence for what I'm saying, but I'm pretty certain that there's no soul. And I'm pretty certain that when people talk about souls, they're just stupid. And that's the part that I saw in myself that I'm like, I don't like that. I I don't like that. I'm judging people who talk about these things as being stupid because I think I know better than them, but I actually really don't. And so then I started listening to more people and the channeling and all these other things and different people talking about souls that that book, Seth speaks. I probably talked with you about it before Mm -hmm. 
it talks a lot about souls and that just really blew my mind. I loved what it said about souls. Um, but again, it's like, I don't know. I can't take any of that at face value. These are all artistic expressions, the ways that we're trying to communicate ideas that really we just don't have the first clue about. But when I, when I recognize that I'm being a dick to people and I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to promote that. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want people to listen to things that I've done and then feel like it's okay to go and make fun of somebody else because they heard me do it on infants on thrones. Like that's something that I feel bad about. You do like, like for reals. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I, when, when I look back at like the, the, the back catalog and things, and, and there's times <laughs> where I meet listeners who, um, you know, they listened to me seven years ago, but they haven't been listening recently. Right. And like, they think they know who I am and they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I, I imagine, uh, I read this book recently. Uh, well, I listened to the audio book called the uh, whipping star mm-hmm. and it reminded me a lot of you and of the channeling stuff. Um, have you ever, it's by Frank Herbert. Um, so, you know, the guy wrote Dune. And, uh, but it's a, uh, it's like a sci-fi noir of this guy who, um, he belongs to the, uh, he, his title is saboteur extraordinaire and he belongs to the department of sabotage, Hmm. um, or the bureau of sabotage, um, part of like this federation of consentient beings. So like all of the aliens in the, in the galaxy, you know, um, they're called like the consentiency and um, this bureau, the bureau of sabotage whole job is to gum up the works of government so mm. that government doesn't ever get too big. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. Um, but there's this alien group called the Kalibans and they're like, they're like the Arcturians or the Palladians. They're from another you know, a space outside of time, another dimension, higher dimension kind of creatures that um, will, that have popped into the universe and they channel people, right? Like to talk to them, you have to like, they just channel into your mind. Yeah. And um, it was interesting. So I was going to, I was kind of wondering if I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit, but that's all it was, is just give a synopsis of that book. Cause it's great. Okay. Well, it's actually well, not that great. <laughs> well, I was going to say, maybe I'll check it out. But after that, oh, yeah. like weak endorsement at the end, maybe I won't. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You know, if you're on so, a walk or something. So b- b- before we leave, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the cells in your body, Ran? Uh, yeah. So I, um, I did experiments on my own cells when I was in like graduate school, you know? Yeah. Uh, where I took like the blood out of my body. And then, uh, uh, you know, isolated um, immune cells and like looked at them under a microscope and poked them and um, like, and like did stuff to like introduce viruses and stuff and made them fluoresce. And it, it did a lot of fun stuff. And, you know, I thought about that a lot, you know, as I was doing experiments on my own person and thinking about you know the cells in my body and 
kind of what what they're going through and like I don't know I didn't really ever uh, attach a kind of experience experiential like I don't know identity to them did you feel like they were you or did you feel like they were separate from you yeah I felt like they were separate from me I mean they I did literally separate them from myself. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I get a weird feeling looking at my own, like even looking at myself in the mirror of like a weird feeling of like not like my flesh and it is not really me kind of thing, you know? Mm. Um and so, yeah, looking at like my cells and thinking about my cells, like I don't, I don't really trust them. <laughs> I don't really, trust them. really? That's fascinating. Yeah. You don't trust them. No. Why? What do you think they're up to? Selfishness. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that? Because that's how they were designed, right? That's how they've evolved is to like, like, uh, to survive at the expense of everything else. Oh, flesh that out for me a little bit. How is it that your cells are surviving? At the, what, what, is, what are your survive? What are your cells currently? Like the cells that are in your body right now, what are mm-hmm. they? Because they've, they've got a lifespan of what, about seven years? I don't know. Sure, some of them. I think so. Yeah. I think it's about seven years. So they are surviving at the expense of what? Yeah. Uh, every like they that's just they have to consume you know the available energy to survive um and uh uh how did they get that energy uh well they get it through you know me you know providing it through eating uh-huh. breathing yeah because they've trained and- you as their slave <laughs> see go another me, reason, not to, <laughs> well, <laughs> reason not to trust them well but then they've also kind of given you some autonomy over what what's done with them yeah well no 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 i'm rejecting that framing no they haven't given me anything they haven't they no. haven't wait whoa, whoa 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 your cells haven't given you anything no really right they don't give you anything nothing at all no, like, no, they don't, they don't, they don't have the capacity to give. They don't have the capacity to give. What no. are they doing? They're surviving. Yeah. And, and that's that, that's, that's it. it. They're not yeah. doing anything else. That's of any benefit to you. <laughs> there is benefit. I draw from my cells. Yes but they're not giving that to me. They're not giving that to you. No. Is this, are, are, are you stuck on the anthropomorphization of this yeah. right now? Yeah. You are? Yeah. Okay. So if, if there are cells that are producing, or I don't know, like what, what do white blood cells do? What white blood cells go and they attack um, pathogens, right? So mm-hmm. it's part of your immune system. So you've got mm-hmm. this immune system that's made up of cells Mm-hmm. that are fighting off in, invaders that are keeping you relatively healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't see that as they're giving you right. health. 
they could turn like that and start attacking my own my other cells yeah what would cause that like, like an virus, autoimmune disease like an autoimmune disease yeah. where, where they're kind of like reprogrammed to identify yeah. and attack other things they're, they're yeah. like they're w- whatever system they have that says attack these this stuff but not this stuff those mm-hmm. orders get changed reprogrammed in the nucleus of the cell and then it's yeah yeah going something else it's so interesting to me that you don't trust your cells and that you don't feel like your cells are responsible for the life that you have. Like, right. and that you don't feel like that. No, <laughs> I don't. I, I so mean, you're, you're like your neurons, the neurons that you have in your brain and your heart uh-huh, and your gut, uh-huh. they're not doing anything for you. I mean, Yes, like my existence depends on them. And yes, like all of this, like my whole quality of life, my quality of life, all like, yeah, sure. But they aren't, they didn't like in some benevolent, like flash of the universe, like consciously like decide to like manifest me. No. Cause, cause they kind of grew out of the whole natural mm-hmm. process of reproduction. Mm-hmm. And, and so and, they do not have my best interest in heart. They have their own interests. in heart. But aren't those interests aligned? Sometimes they are. A lot of times they are aligned. I, Most you of know, the time like, they are aligned. Yeah. Do, don't, don't you have, like, I, I, I read a book on epigenetics a while ago and it was, it was talking about, oh, I wish I remembered it exactly. It's like seven years ago. No, it was four years ago. But um, how there was this guy that he just didn't like eating a certain food because of the way that it tasted. It was bad, but his mom forced him. And it turned out that he had this genetic condition that that food was just really, really bad for him. It really messed him up Mm -hmm. and that he should have listened to his own body, tell him, give him the the gag reflex saying, don't put Mm -hmm. that in us. Mm-hmm. And because this is going to affect, it's it's going to flip the switch. And I know that's not really how it happens in the cells, but it's going to express a, a gene that is going to create a condition that's not going to be very healthy for you. And if you would have kept that substance, th- those chemicals from interacting with the cells, it wouldn't have triggered that response in the gene. Okay. So isn't that, isn't that, uh, I'll just say the way that I, interpret that is that our cells are communicating with us or, or that our central nervous system on behalf of the cells are communicating through the feelings of like, I don't like that. Get that thing away from me. Like it, it definitely made me second guess the times that I've told my kids, no, you're going to eat that thing, whether you like it or not, and want to trust them more because may, may, maybe there's something that's going on inside of them that's making them not want this thing that I should just listen to and trust because my own mind, for whatever reason, would think, no, this is healthy for you because I read it in a magazine, so eat it. And I don't understand that there's actually some mechanism deep within their cells that's saying, this isn't going to be healthy for you. Listen to what we're telling you. Okay. And I know that there's anthropomorphization happening in the way that I'm describing that. Uh-huh. If you can get past that, isn't, isn't that what's happening? Like the exchange of keeping 
our best interest in mind, the cells <laughs> want to survive. They're in there surviving. So they're going to send you to get the right food instead of the wrong food. One time I was in like, I was at my, my oldest brother's house and there was this tree in his yard and um, it had these look like pea pods. Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh hell yeah. Peas. And I was like, Whoa, a pea tree. No way. Yeah. And I ate these peas and they tasted great. They tasted just like peas mm. and they were poison. And, mm. and then I had to go to the emergency room. Yeah. <laughs> so my body betrayed me. Didn't right? know that that was poison. Did, yeah. Right. Didn't know. But, that but, that was it's, but at some point, even in those cases, your body might throw it up. Right. I don't know. Pro- like it, like people if you, die from poison. Like, that's true. Oh, right. <laughs> it's true. It, it, people die from poison, but they're, you know, people die from all kinds of things. Like cells aren't indestructible. Mm-hmm. They'll, the body's not indestructible. It'll, I'm, it'll I'm just, will collapse. Cells. So, so you're not, telling me it's not a natural benevolence, <laughs> right? There's well, not. I'm, I'm not saying benevolence. You're saying benevolence. Like you, you're bringing up benevolence and then brushing it away. That's fine. I, I don't have any argument with you there. I'm not saying that there's a benevolence. Well, okay. Well, what do you call it? This like, oh, they have our best interests at heart. They're trying to help us. They're I don't think to, that like, the are, cells are, are you... even aware of who and what you are. Well, what? <laughs> then why do you say that they give me things? Why do you say that? Because what the cells are doing, because cells communicate with each other to create an optimal environment in your body. Optimal for what? For their own existence, for however they have evolved to exist and to interact one with another in this chain of communication. Mm-hmm. And you've got cells that are part of the respiratory, cells that are part of circulatory, you know, all these mm-hmm. different systems, all these cells that are doing different things. Okay that the the overall concert is contributing to your state of being Mm -hmm. and you've got a central nervous system that manages Mm -hmm. and regulates all that stuff and i think it's the central Mm -hmm. nervous system that's aware of what the cells need like a set aware if you're hungry and so you've got hunger pains that's telling you go get some food your cells need some food or if you're dehydrated go drink some water you're getting a headache you know your body will communicate to you certain things that you need for your survival Mm-hmm. And that it, being being regulated and managed through your central nervous system, but that that's like translating between your cells <laughs> that need this nourishment and you, like what whatever you are as this radar system that's maneuvering your way around the world, or, or, or yeah, around the world and finding food and avoiding uh, danger and finding a reproduction opportunities and all these things that the biological instincts typically encourage people towards. The way you talk about it, like sounds like that they're, they're doing this with, with a purpose in mind, right? Like when you talk about the central nervous system, well, you know, coordinating these things and saying, Oh, all of your cells need food. So you better yeah. have food. They do have a purpose. And I think they do have a purpose in mind. And I think it's a purpose ah. that has evolved over millions of years because at one point though, those cell that this multicellular organism used to be a single cell organism. Mm-hmm. And, and at one point grouped together with other cells because it was for their mutual benefit in combating the hostile environment of the world around them, what, whatever form that hostility came in. Okay. And the, the, the multicellular organisms that were good 
at avoiding the bad stuff and finding the good stuff were programmed by that experience to keep passing on the traits that would be optimal for survival. And so the cells do have a purpose. They have a, a memory of sorts, like a, a knowledge of what it is that they do, what it is that they contribute, how they do that. And like you're saying, they want to survive. They've got this basic survival instinct to them to perform the function and to stay within the no, sphere. Of... I don't, I don't even think, <laughs> I, no, I don't think that they, I don't think that they want to survive. They just have to, right? Like they don't have desire. You don't know that. Okay. You think that they don't, and you don't like it when people anthropomorphize cells. I get that. <laughs> but can you show me the evidence that they really don't have anything that would be even close to desire? Um, yeah. Okay. Like we try to figure out how. Yeah. Go research it. You don't have to answer me now. I'd love to know. Well, you're asking me to prove that they don't have like I'm something. A, I'm that's... asking you to support your stridency with with empirical evidence, more than just your own feelings about. Yeah, I just don't like that. So the statement is that cells. You you want me to back up the statement that cells don't have desire. Again, that was that was the word that you used. I was talking about a drive, like a, a want. Yeah, a want. I mean, I'm I'm using language, but there there's there's something that has been keeping these cells going for millions of years mm -hmm. and continuing to evolve. And I I never read uh, Richard Dawkins' The Selfish Gene, but I think this is kind of the premise of his book. But again, I don't know because I didn't read it. But just this this drive uh, to survive in a hostile environment and all of the many different ways that life forms on this planet do that, that result in all the variety of life that we have and the environment, the way that that life contributes to the environment. Do you put, do, do you put any kind of like value judgment on all of that? Value judgment. Like Okay, so ah, uh, they they all survived and everything. Like, I don't know. I got to think about it more. I can't. Okay. I can't bring it up. All right. But, but uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't trust myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we can we can talk about trust another time. I I think that's a big reason why I do what I do because it helps me trust things that I don't understand. And when I, when I have that trust in what I don't understand, you know, like I I'm, I'm unfamiliar with what it's like for you to not trust your cells, but I feel like if I didn't trust my cells, I would be in more of a state of anxiety, concern, fear than I actually am. I see. Yeah. And I don't know. And, like, and <laughs> I, and I think I don't understand the way, like a very basic understanding of things. I don't really understand the way that all this is working, but uh, whether we're talking about dimensions or atoms or subatomic particles or all of this stuff, whatever all that stuff is and whatever it's doing, it's the, the result of it is this.
that I'm experiencing right now. And so I can trust that even if I don't understand what's happening, how it's doing it, that it's creating this and I didn't even have to lift a finger and how I feel about it doesn't impact it really one way or another. It It's there like the, the processes and the forces of life I can trust in. And then it's just a question of how am I going to be? Yeah. Yeah. I, that question I think is, uh, I, I like that question a lot. How am I going to be, you know? Yeah. And this is where I'm going to pause it for the end of part four. And, you know, what I want to be, what I want to be is more compassionate. I want to be more compassionate than I've ever been because I think the world needs more compassion. And I think the world would be a better place with more compassion. And just hoping, expecting, or demanding that other people become more compassionate or other organizations <laughs> or other systems without me doing the work to become more compassionate myself, well, that kind of seems like a waste of my own time. Although, I also think that there's no such thing as wasted time. So maybe what I really mean is that's a way that I'm training my neurons to do something other than what I really would like them to be doing, if that makes any sense. So I've been creating fictions, like the Arcturian Playground, uh, and like Infants on Thrones, as an introspective tool that I use to look at areas of my Mormon-formed mind where I could be more compassionate because I feel like I've got these unconscious programs of judgment that if I'm unconscious, I'm not aware of them. And if I go looking for them, I'll become a little bit more aware of them. And I got to tell you, there's one, there's one unconscious program that's not unconscious to me. It's the way that I feel about Brigham Young. Like, I know I really do not like Brigham Young at all. I don't feel very much compassion at all for Brigham Young. So when I focused on Brigham Young for one of my channeling thinkies, and I was looking for ways to be compassionate, I was pretty surprised at what I found. And if you want to keep listening to this extended Easter egg that's coming up here, you'll hear what I mean. Welcome to the Arcturian Playground, a place to play in the realm of imagination, all done in the service of compassionate expansion of consciousness. Yes. It sounds weird, we know. We would not have it any other way. Yes. Yes, we are here, once again. Playing this game with you, asking you to play this game with us. Um, there are many in this world who make a show of channeling and there are many more who will observe and uh, even more who will reject and deny and mock and yet all of you are channeling at all times it is simply a question of whether or not you allow yourself to imagine uh, to put yourself in 
a perspective intentionally creating a fiction uh, f from which you observe yourself and the rest of the world from a different point of view and uh, creating a character such as uh, we the Arcturian collective thingy uh, which is our official title and we will stick to it Th this allows for you to and we are speaking to the man in the chair in fact we would like to make it very clear that everything that we say is said directly to the man in the chair everything that we say is a reflection of the mind of the man in the chair for it is the mind of the man in the chair that is the channel through which this information is flowing and so of course it will take the shape of the man in the chair based upon his lived experiences and his interests and his studies uh, there are many things that he has experienced in his life that have been deposited as memories within his mind uh, in this uh, sitting and imagining and uh, playing this game of channeling, uh, he is able to make connections uh, which we assist with. We, uh, we help him to make uh, connections of things that have been there for uh, many years but may not have been connected. Uh, there are aha moments, if you will, that he experiences as a result of creating this fiction and uh, creating this perspective, putting on these glasses, as it were. So we would ask you, for anyone who uh, enjoys this sort of game, uh, if you would like to put on these glasses along with us and uh, join us as you imagine what it would be like to be on the receiving end of what you are receiving and uh, recognize that your reaction and your response is uh, teaching you something about who you are uh, just as the uh, words that you hear from this man in the chair uh, tell him more of who he is as he is uh, projecting his understanding of the world and his beliefs and expectations uh, out onto the world through this uh, process of channeling where uh, what is internal in the form of uh, thoughts and ideas, the concepts, memories, uh, other such things, what is internal is being projected and uh, turned into something external which can then be uh, reflected upon by others uh, very much in the same way that a Rorschach ink blot would be presented to a patient in therapy and the therapist would ask, what do you think, what do you feel when you observe this ink blot? What comes to you? That is what we are doing here. And today we wish to speak of Brigham Young in our continuation of the origins of Mormonism, which is, again, an exploration of the mind of the man who sits in this chair, who was raised in the Mormon church and uh, left the Mormon church many years ago and has devoted much of his life to the study of the Mormon church, trying to better understand himself and those around him, trying to understand the 
influence that this religion had upon his world view, the, the way that he thinks and expects the world to show up, as it were. So today we are turning our thoughts to Brigham Young, and we will tell you from the start that the man in this chair has uh, no fondness uh, whatsoever for the figure of Brigham Young, which we wish to remind him, you do not know the true Brigham Young. All that you know are the uh, stories that were put before you, which are like so many Rorschach ink blots, and your own reaction to those stories. Therefore, while you may be speaking the word Brigham Young, what you are really discussing here is an aspect of yourself. It is the conclusions that you have come to and that you hold in your mind regarding this person, uh, Brigham Young, and his influence on the uh, culture in which you were raised, the university which you attended as you are a graduate of Brigham Young University, uh, rise and shout, the cougars are out, as it were. But you do not know the man, and even the man did not know the man, for there are so many layers of complexity, and as we have discussed uh, previously, your understanding of the world is a conscious understanding. What you are consciously aware of is but a sliver of the information that you actually carry within your body, within your mind. There is so much more information, so much more knowledge, so many programs being run, so many forms of life, uh, intelligent systems, as we like to say, a, a molecule is an intelligent system of organization. It's an intelligent system of energy which has come together under certain circumstances in certain ways, and you can spend time talking about covalent bonds or this or that. Uh, but to speak very generally of a molecule is to speak of an intelligent system. And when groups of molecules group together under certain circumstances in certain environments, then they form uh, cells, they form other forms of life, they form other intelligent systems, and those systems take upon a life of their own. And when those cells uh, group together, uh, they also are intelligent systems, and those systems group together and form a multicellular organism. And the multicellular organism might have a portion of its nervous system devoted to scanning the outer environment by means of its eyes and ears and sense of smell and feeling and this becomes the the world of that portion of the central nervous system which is aware of what is outside of itself it is aware of its ability to think and imagine and to plan and it is unaware of other things that are going on within it but you can see your heart is beating you can see that your lungs are uh, constantly filling with air and you understand that your your own biology is converting oxygen into carbon dioxide in the environment there are many things that you are doing 
far too many things for us to discuss here in this sitting. The, the reason we are going on to this bit of a tangent is to remind you that you are an intelligent system which is built upon other intelligent systems that went before you and the material of these intelligent systems, these, this source energy as it were, is uh, quite impressionable. It retains information. It is influenced by the environment around it. It records data. This is how you come to exist. This is what forms uh, DNA and uh, the process of evolution is the impression of one system of intelligence upon another system of intelligence uh, onward and onward. Uh, and this energy which forms every bit of everything that exists also is the energy that is responsible for the construct of time and space-time. Uh, there, from your perspective, the way that you experience time is a certain sliver of what actually is. From the perspective of this energy, there are multiple possibilities, multiple timelines. Anything that is possible to exist does exist in one form or another as far as this energy is concerned. Therefore, when we speak of Brigham Young, it is important to remember, first and foremost, that the Brigham Young you speak of is an idea that is an imperfectly formed idea within your mind, which is a, a system of intelligence which was created by other systems of intelligence which came before it. Uh, so please do not confuse the, uh, the image of Brigham Young with the actual man. The other part of this is that the actual man himself was made of the same energy, which is all things. And there were different versions of Brigham Young. Even now, among those who are listening to this, there are multiple versions of Brigham Young. There is the Brigham Young that is the conception of the man who is sitting in this chair. And the areas where anyone listening to this might agree or disagree, here we have another variant, another different version of Brigham Young, which is your conception of Brigham Young. Uh, then, of course, there was the man Brigham Young and his conception of himself and the conception of Brigham Young by others around him. Uh, even at different times during the day, one might have uh, varying, even competing views of oneself. Uh, there was also an incident, and we are we are preparing you to share with you this this incident. For Brigham Young, as a child, would dream. Brigham Young was a born into a large family, and he was one of the younger children. And for those who have experienced this type of dynamic, it can be lonely at times. It can you you, you can. Suffer at the bottom of the pecking order of your siblings and uh, be the recipient of whatever cruelty or mirth or uh, any type of shenanigan which uh, is played. And uh, this impacted Brigham Young in many ways. As we have spoken in uh, previous conversations, it is the childhood wound which determines largely the direction of a human's life. Uh, this is true for every person, Brigham Young included. 
Brigham Young suffered childhood wounds as a result of his position in his family. His family moved from one location to another location several times, creating a sense of uh, creating a desire for uh, community, uh, a, a desire to set down one's roots and to truly build something that is stable. It is no accident that uh, Brigham Young's youth was represented by several large moves from his family uh, and also that in his adult years uh, he is known as being the Mormon prophet who brought the pioneers across the plains from Nauvoo, Illinois to uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, where he said this is the place so famously uh, that he would be considered by many to be a modern Moses of sorts in the way that he led groups of people. This was what he experienced as a child through many moves, and his strong desire as a child was to build a stable environment that was fair and just to all that uh, would be quite harsh when it came to anyone who would disrupt the peace. Uh, this was a uh, direct wound as a result of many of the uh, pranks uh, that his older brothers and sisters, his siblings, would play upon him and would anger him and he would, as a child, feel such impotent rage. And there were many nights when Brigham Young would, uh, as a young child, uh, cry himself to sleep with great uh, heaving sobs. And uh, these, this experience played a, a, a significant role in shaping the psyche of this man who would become the second president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints following Joseph Smith, but his influence upon Joseph Smith uh, from the d early days of Kirtland onward were quite significant. Although they started off as a uh, whisper for Joseph when he first met Brigham was not terribly impressed. Jo Joseph had an open heart and he uh, was uh, quite curious and interested in all people, but he did not see anything in Brigham Young that uh, particularly made him excited. There, there was nothing about Brigham that made him feel that he could learn anything from him or benefit in any way from being aligned with this man. And Brigham felt this quite keenly for Brigham had uh, quite the uh, man crush as it were on uh, the prophet. There were many qualities uh, in Joseph that uh, Brigham aspired to for himself. Uh, Joseph was very attuned to the intelligent energies surrounding him. He would connect to many energies uh, we were among them we the Arcturians who have been exploring this solar system for quite some time we have been monitoring this planet and we have been monitoring the life on this planet 
once again, this is of course a fiction. This is a fictional perspective that we are intentionally creating as a way to look at ourselves from uh, an outside point of view. It is a fiction which is based, however, upon truths which you do not have any way of understanding except through your imagination and your creation of fictions. We ask you to imagine the possibility that there was a solar system with a star in the center which is called the Arcturus star. You can look in any uh, astrology book, you can look up into the night sky, you can see there is a star, it does have the name Arcturus on it. Was there life within that solar system? There's no way to know, is there? But we can imagine, can we not? If there were life in that solar system, what would happen? What is the progression of life? What is life? What does life do? What would life do if it filled an entire solar system? Do you have any concept of what that would mean? You are still on this planet just learning what it means to become unified as a single race of species. We, we said race, but we mean to transcend racial identity. For you to understand yourself as a species, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of culture, you still have not quite attained that sense of unity among your own species, let alone recognizing the great connection that you have to all living forms of life on this planet, which include things that you would not typically consider to be alive, things that exist, which have an intelligent, conscious experience of existence which is foreign to you. Therefore, you imagine that it is not life. Nevertheless, we Arcturians were around in this thought experiment. We did influence Joseph Smith. Uh, Joseph Smith was very attuned to us. Uh, he was very keen on uh, using his imagination to uh, take the internal world and create something in the external world that had begun as a thought, begun as a dream. Uh, Brigham desired to do such things but did not feel much, much confidence in his ability to do so. He was quite closed. And there is a way of looking at this. Uh, this is a, a simple rudimentary understanding which will help you. Uh, we ask that you do not be confused to take this literally. Looking at the division of heart and mind, which we speak of often, it is different ways of sensing and perceiving the world. Uh, when we speak of a heart, perception. We are speaking primarily of the feelings that arise as a result of your interaction with the world around you or even your contemplation of your inner environment. The feelings arise and the heart is what we associate with your experience of those feelings. The different thoughts that arise we associate with your mind where the neural pathways uh, 
filter your experience of reality. They they attempt to explain the feelings. If you are feeling sad, you will ask, why am I feeling sad? And the story will emerge. It is because this happened and then this happened and then this happened and there is a very linear story and you have the sense that uh, now I understand, now I can have some kind of completion. And we... We, we understand. We, we, we do not wish to mock you for where you are at this point in your development, but we do hope that you will recognize that the mind experience is telling you only a part of the story and the influences behind the, the shape that your mind creates as it creates a perceived sense of reality have very much to do with your prior experiences, your expectations and beliefs on the world, and they are quite malleable. They are, it is more healthy to have a human mind that is malleable and flexible than it is to be rigid when your mind tells you that something is a certain way and you are inflexible to that. Uh, great harm and discomfort is created uh, in the world. Returning to Brigham Young, Brigham Young desired to do what Joseph did, but he did not believe in his ability to do so. He did not believe that he could open up his mouth and speak uh, the words or impressions that came from the Lord or from any angel or ministering spirit or whatever name or label you wish to place upon the intelligent energies which surround each human being not only from the outside in but more largely from the inside out the systems of intelligence upon which you are built once again we would ask you to think of the relationship between a molecule and a cell and uh, groups of cells and organs these systems of intelligence you can think of as going down, down, down. Uh, there are also systems of intelligence which go up, up, up. And it is the coordinated identity of, a shared identity of many of these intelligences that we represent from our perspective. For in the Arcturus solar system, we, we did recognize the unity. We recognized ourselves as... The, the commonality and the uh, source energy, the way that this energy is uh, organized into multiple complex systems of intelligence, which we recognized uh, all of this was us, all of this was us. Uh, the, the creature on the far planet at the end of our solar systems, the bacteria and the uh, energetic specks that you would not be able to see or feel or hear, but are quite alive and existing, are made of the same intelligent systems of source energy. We became friends with them. We learned of them. Our curiosity uh, taught us how to discover them and how to invite them into our family, for they always have been a part of our family and we welcome them with open arms and with love and this is why we are here for you as well we offer you the same uh, this is what is, 
intelligent life does throughout the universe as it, it spreads. Uh, are there malevolent intelligences out there? Why, yes, there are. Uh, of course there are. And uh, we must uh, contend with them. It is interesting, for we always do have an open invitation for them to join us, and yet there are conditions which we recognize. Those conditions also place a limitation on our own growth and development, for we, we truly do aspire to uh, be loving and accepting unconditionally. However, when we have allowed those intelligent systems to merge with us who would work for their own increase at the expense of others. Uh, it, we have experienced pain, much as you experience pain when similar things happen on your planet. And it is no accident that we would speak of malevolent systems of intelligence while we are also speaking of Brigham Young, for Brigham Young did follow the uh, whisperings and promptings of uh, so many spirits, if you will, around him, which uh, fueled his fear and uh, encouraged him down a path of uh, control, which is what happened with his influence in the Mormon Church. The way that he influenced Joseph uh, was to uh, make more, Joseph more aggressive. He, he made Joseph more fearful. Uh, Joseph already had the fear of losing the things that were the most important to him, namely being the idea of Zion, the community that he had created, the, the group of saints, as it were. Joseph felt a great, deep, abiding love to these people and felt very protective of them, willing to lay down his life for them, truly. Uh, Brigham, on the other hand, was more inclined to take the life of others in order to protect this group. And the, the group, uh, from Brigham's perspective, it was less about love and it was more about uh, the respect that he felt he did not receive as a child from his older siblings and then demanded from others. There is a... Every, every human has a complex arrangement of uh, ironies and inconsistencies that are quite entertaining and delicious. The, there is a way of viewing the human experience, which you do experience, although it is outside of your conscious understanding, where you are very entertained, so entertained uh, by the surprises that come. W one might expect uh, a motivation or an impulse to drive a person one direction and it drives, they choose to go a completely different direction. It, it truly is amazing and astounding. It is a form of entertainment. If you can imagine not too far in your own future, you already have the technology of uh, virtual reality and you are beginning to venture down this path where you 
can step into the uh, you can step into a character uh, in your video games when uh, you can design a character to your specifications and take them on adventures and uh, your character can be killed and it can respawn and it can gain uh, certain powers and abilities and uh, you have this drive to imagine yourself as a character in a game with the technology that is coming not in not very far from this particular point in time you will be able to inhabit the character of uh, your movies and television shows you will be able to uh, look at uh, the Lord of the Rings and say, this time as I watch the show, I would like to uh, experience this movie from the perspective of Frodo, or I would like to experience this movie from the perspective of Gandalf or of uh, Gollum. <laughs> uh, take your pick, you could say, of the tree that they walk past. I want to experience what that was like to feel the footprints of Gimli and uh, you you will there will be no end to your exploration once you are able to see how to place your own mind into the intelligent systems which will be artificially created through computer programs that will merge with your own biologically evolved intelligent systems to allow you a conscious experience that you might be able to imagine at this point but it will pair that imagination will pale in comparison to the actual experience of it returning to Brigham Young there there were these uh, delicious ironies in his psyche for on the one hand uh, growing up as he did the wounds that he had as a child as he did he desperately craved uh, autonomy. Uh, Brigham was one of these uh, people who would say, do not tell me what to do. Do not tell me what I cannot do. Do not put limitations upon me. Uh, I will be who I will be. And uh, he would butt against authority figures quite often in his life. How terribly, deliciously ironic it is then that the man he became was one who put such strict uh, limitations upon those around him in order for him to experience his own sense of liberty. Uh, it, it was not a, a liberty which he wished to share with others. There were some who he would invite and uh, give a, a portion of this liberty, but it, it was a means of control. It was a... Uh, Brigham Young became the equivalent of a mafia boss, and the, the Mormon religion from the time of Brigham Young to the present time became much more an organization that was committed to the controlling of the minds of its members and the hearts of its members than encouraging them to expand and continue to expand. This is another irony of uh, Brigham Young, for he craved the expansive nature of Joseph Smith, and yet he could not emulate that. It, it, it was not part of his nature. 
As a child, uh, Brigham had visions that came to him mainly in the forms of dreams, as you all have such dreams. And these uh, dreams would uh, show to Brigham the potential futures that lay ahead of him. Uh, for, uh, as, as we have explained, the, the source energy, which is not confined to any particular place and time, does create uh, multiple timelines, multiple existences. There were multiple paths down which uh, Brigham Young could walk uh, based upon choices that he would make in his life. This is the same for every person. Uh, he was able to project his uh, consciousness forward in time, as it were. That sounds strange to say, uh, sounds strange to hear. That is not exactly what happens. Uh, nevertheless, he was able to see this existence of himself being the boss, being in charge. He had a sense of that. He could feel the potential of that. And it drove him. It motivated him. Even from a young age, he did not know exactly how to achieve it or how to attain it. And there are timelines where Brigham Young was a more compassionate person, a more allowing, expansive person, that version of Brigham Young never took control of the Mormon church. And there was a part of him, his young psyche which understood that if he were to uh, live from a more heart-opened space, he would not uh, attain in the future the goal which he felt that he wanted. Uh, and it was a confusion in his mind because the reason that he wanted the power was because he felt so disempowered as a young child with his older siblings uh, ridiculing them. Uh, it, it was, for the most part, very good-natured uh, ribbing. Uh, however, that was not how Brigham interpreted it. Brigham was quite the uh, obstinate uh, fighter. You... Uh, were uh, those who crossed Brigham Young <laughs> felt it uh, for he he would uh, remember and return the uh, injustices upon him he would meet out injustice with more injustice uh, with a great deal of severity uh, therefore because in his mind he had touched this future version of himself and had recognized at some unconscious level that the path forward would not be the path of love. Uh, the path of love would take him into a different uh, existence, down a different timeline, where he was not the president and prophet, the, the second prophet of the Mormon church. Uh, he was just some uh, normal old Joe, <laughs> which we say with some degree of irony, uh, and that was not acceptable to him. Uh, would it be to you? Uh, we, we would we would ask you. We, we're, we are speaking this to the man in the chair for you to have uh, status and be respected by others, or to truly love yourself. And uh, truly be compassionate towards others, to not engage in uh, 
any actions that would take you away from being unconditionally loving in your heart, unconditionally accepting, which would you choose? Which timeline do you prefer to be on? And if we were to bring Brigham Young here today, which we could quite easily do if the man in the chair were willing to do this, Brigham would tell you that the lifetime where he was not the prophet of the Mormon church was a much more pleasant lifetime for him to, to lead. He had much more joy. There was much more love that he birthed into the world in that lifetime that he reaps now. And uh, this is one of the nice things about uh, understanding yourself as source energy, that there are no missed opportunities. There is no wasted time. There is only experience, and there is multitude of experience, and there is overlapping experience. Everything that is possible to experience is experienced, and new possibilities are created uh, constantly as a result of the open, expansive, trusting nature of source energy. It allows itself to put itself into situations that it... Uh, does not uh, quite understand exactly what the outcome will be because it knows that it will be all outcomes, that it can experience all things. Therefore, the, the path that Brigham Young chose, uh, the Brigham Young that you are aware of, the Brigham Young that you conceive of, we are speaking to the man in the chair, the choices made in his life were largely motivated by anger, uh, a feeling of umbrage, uh, taking, uh, uh, being offended by those who would not show to him and uh, to Joseph Smith and to others the amount of respect that he felt that he deserved. Uh, this took him very, very far from his heart space of uh, unconditional love and he confused himself and many others by uh, using labels uh, typically associated with love and inclusion uh, using those labels uh, with practices that were quite the opposite and had the opposite effect and aren't you glad that he did we know this is a difficult concept for you to sit with but can you find it in your heart to feel gratitude for Brigham Young, for the mess that he created, for the systems of control which he created, for the influence that his actions had across time and across distances that built a world that you were born into and inhabited? Uh, there were direct influences from Brigham Young's mind that impacted you. And it was a Rorschach ink plot that was put in front of you. In fact, it was a, uh, an entire world that was constructed of Rorschach ink plots that you found yourself in, this three-dimensional reality of uh, a, a Mormon family that went to Mormon church and uh, lived a Mormon life with Mormon beliefs, and many of which were 
more influenced by Brigham Young's filter of uh, the early Mormon church than what was birthed through Joseph from us and from other intelligent systems which inspired uh, the mind of a, of a man in Joseph Smith who wished to be more inclusive and yet through the influence of Brigham and uh, others uh, became less inclusive and more exclusive and so you man in the chair were raised uh, your your soul in particular like so many others is uh, quite inquisitive and curious and ancient and interwoven with many of the souls which have inhabited this planet uh, and other planets and other solar systems. Your soul is a part of our Arcturian collective, of course, which is why we are here. And uh, you are a part of everything, just as every person is a part of everything. Uh, and you were born into this box which you have uh, talked about before. It was a difficult box for you to live in and to develop habits of self-loathing, uh, self-hatred, self-doubt, uh, which were intentionally put into place by Brigham Young as a way to control and uh, also a desire to protect, for he wanted to protect his flock, uh, which... He also wished to harvest at times and use for his own use. And aren't you glad that he did? Aren't you glad that you had this, this small box, these tiny walls that made you feel so uncomfortable uh, to push against? Aren't you grateful for that discomfort which uh, made you question whether, not whether or not the walls were real, that is what you were going to say, but question just how real the walls are and what reality are the walls made from? Uh, is it the reality of my mind? Are these walls simply neural pathways? They're simply the way that I imagine things are, the way that things should be? Aren't you glad that you learned that the rigidity of ideas is itself an idea? That the true nature of the human mind is flexible, it is malleable, there is neuroplasticity, there are ways to, to get out of the box, there are ways to create your own world, and there are in fact multiple realities which you have the ability to tap into, as it were, by contorting these living creatures within your brain, these neurons, to communicate with each other in different ways. It is a practice that you call imagination, which allows you to perceive things in a different way. The more you do this, the more you will see what it is that you are creating in your mind to see. Are you not uh, glad to discover that you have this power where before the way that you were raised was to ask you to uh, ignore that you have this power, to uh, only use this power up to a point when it came to the wall of a certain box and if your uh, inkling, your curiosity was to take you past the walls of the box, you were told to uh, shut it off like a light switch and uh, 
ignore it and just be happy with what you have and be in the small box and be happy with that and just be happy and just be happy with the small box and just be happy. Uh, there's no need to go outside of the box. It's frustrated you to no end. And you did not believe it. And so you did not do it. And you went outside the box and you are loving life outside the box. Would you have loved life as much as you do now had it not been for Brigham Young? Furthermore, in your desire to become an unconditionally loving person, we are speaking to the man in the chair, is it not beneficial to have figures like Brigham Young to contend with? For how will you become an unconditionally loving person if you hold on to hatred for this man who provided uh, such an opportunity of growth for you? And here you have another opportunity for growth, to accept and to love Brigham Young for who he is, understanding his wholeness, uh, recognizing your limitations in understanding anything truly about him. We are again talking about your mind and we are asking you to contort your mind to become a more flexible mind, to become a more allowing mind, to recognize that there are some things that you know, but most things you do not know, and uh, you do not know who Brigham Young truly was, and yet you feel so strongly in your antipathy towards him. What a wonderful opportunity for you to uh, relax and release that. We are praying for you, <laughs> and we will be here to help you uh, as you learn to love Brigham Young and any others who uh, you might struggle with. And these things we leave with you in the name of the Arcturian Collective thingy. Uh, amen and uh, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you for playing with us today in the Arcturian Playground. Do not for a minute think that your exploration is finished. Carry us with you and invite the spirit of compassion and love into your lives. Nothing is more important or more fulfilling. Create compassion and love within your own hearts and minds. Then share it with all around you. Yes, it sounds weird. We know. We would not have it any other way.